Well, that is good news that we worship a God who makes beautiful things out of the dust and stuff of our life. And, um, and we gather and worship to him because of that. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture this morning that talks about our amazing God and his ability to deliver us from uh, uh, the, the hopelessness of dust-like circumstances and then take that very situation and transform us into people that we would not be otherwise. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Mark chapter 5, and we're going to be reading uh, verses 35 to Mark chapter 5, verse 20. You'll find that on page 710 of your church Bibles. And we're in a series through the gospel of Mark, and these verses here this morning talk to us about Christ uh, delivering us and uh, bringing us out of desperate situations in life and creating a beauty and a calm that just would not exist otherwise. So follow along with me, Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, that's Jesus, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down. It was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his feet, uh, fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, 
they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This is God's word. So this intruder breaks into the door of this house and invades the home of this owner who happens to be a mixed martial arts ultimate fighting champion. (laughs) While the ultimate fighter was at home, they're standing in the living room when the intruder breaks down the door. The two lock eyes. It doesn't look like it's going to be very pretty for the intruder, you know. But the most amazing thing happens. The intruder swiftly puts the ultimate fighter into a submission hold. And then, while in that hold, the intruder takes the guy's belt off and ties him up in kind of one of those cradle-like knots with his hands and feet bound. So he's kind of like rocking like a rocking horse. And And right before the ultimate fighter's eyes, the intruder just robs the guy. I mean, just loots the guy's place. And this ultimate fighting champion is cursing and screaming and yelling and and threatening. But all the while, the guy's just filling his bag with the loot. And it's just the most amazing thing. And the the intruder then goes to the door while the guy is still... Still ranting and raving and cursing and swearing. The intruder simply says, bye. Robs the guy. You know where I read that? Mark chapter 3, verse 27. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. You know who the intruder is? What's the answer to every question at Windsor Road Christian Church? (laughs) Jesus. Jesus! Jesus is the intruder. He who is the good shepherd, he who is the true vine, He who is the light of the world, he whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light, proclaims himself in Mark chapter 3, verse 27, to be this aggressive, assertive intruder who breaks down the door 
and puts this strong man. Don't you see what's going on here? Jesus is the intruder. The strong man is Satan. The house is the, is the dominion, the dominion of darkness. And right before Satan's very eyes, his bound body, his very eyes, Jesus loots his place. And what would be of such interest to Christ that he would loot Satan's house? What possessions would be of, of, of such value that Jesus would break the door down and in, in, in broad daylight. Well, elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus talks about how Satan comes like a thief in the night. This is not night. This is in broad daylight. What possession would be of such valuable to Jesus that he would do this? You. Me. We are of such value to God that he would send his son to rescue us from a desperate situation, a situation from which there is no escape in our own strength or in our own power. This Mark 3.27 is the gospel. It's, it's, it's a one-sentence summary of our faith. God bursts into the scene, neutralizes the evil one, defeating him, and then he delivers his people. Wow. Now, it's one thing to hear that taught. It's one thing to take notes on outlines. It's one thing to read about what the commentaries have to say about that. It is a whole nother level to actually see it played out in real life. It's a whole nother level to see it happen to witness it, to experience it. And yet, that's exactly what we see in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, to Mark chapter 5, verse 20. These verses are kind of the, the living explanation of this one sentence parable in Mark chapter 3, verse 27. In the verses that we see here, there is a defeat that takes place and a deliverance. These verses are about how our king breaks into our world and defeats evil and delivers his people. And, uh, and the, we see this played out on a trip that Christ took with his disciples, this journey on the lake. And then we see this played out at the destination of this trip. But the message is still the same. Christ alone has the power and the authority and the strength to defeat evil and deliver his people. And that's what I want. And that's why you should follow him. You should follow Christ because he alone has the ability to defeat and to deliver. And I want you to see this played out here in these two incidents that occur, this trip on the lake and then the destination of the trip. So let's just cut into these verses. 
starting with chapter 4, verse 35. It says, that day when evening came, that day, what had happened that day? Well, you have to kind of scan up, uh, uh, skim up to the beginning of Mark chapter 4, where it says, and Jesus began to teach by the lake. He's at the Sea of Galilee, and, and, and he is uh, uh, teaching. The crowds have gathered, and he's in a boat because the crowds, uh, there's just too many of them, and you know they didn't have these fancy microphones in the first century, so a speaker, if he wanted to be heard by the audience, they would Sometimes they would actually get into a boat and, uh, you know, water comes off the, uh, the wind comes off the water into land. And so, so that's how the amplification would happen. And all day Jesus was teaching and he was teaching about the kingdom of God. Uh, in uh, the parable of the sower at the beginning of Mark chapter 4 Jesus talks about how people receive news about the kingdom of God his theme is about the kingdom of God the kingdom of God why in in Mark chapter 4 verse 26 Jesus talks about the parable of the growing seed the kingdom of God is like a growing seed now now, farmer doesn't work 24-7 to make that crop grow no 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 but the seed does while the farmer sleeps the seed still grows day and night. And that's the way the kingdom of God is. And, and then there's the parable of the mustard seed describing the kingdom of God. The smallest of the seeds then gets planted and when it grows, why? It becomes this bush, the largest bush in all of, the, of all the garden plants and, and, and birds can come and perch on this. What began as a small little seed then begins to grow and even provide shade. My goodness, the kingdom is taught. And, and then uh, the scripture says in in Mark 4, 33, that Christ got together with the disciples and, and explained to them the kingdom of God. He talked in parables to the crowds, but then huddled up with the, with the disciples and explained to them all day long. Jesus was talking about this, this kingdom, this unstoppable, invincible kingdom of God. It was just an amazing thing that was going on here. And, and, and it was an exhausting day. An exhausting day. And I don't know, if you're an educator or you present in any way, shape, or form, you know how, how tiring it can be to connect with people and present and talk. And then afterwards, you've, you're, you're meeting and talking and sharing. And it's just, you know, it's just a draining experience. And, and after all day, Jesus said to his disciples in verse 35, let's, let's, let's go on over to the other side of the lake. He didn't even get out of a boat at the end He just said, let's go. And so they went. And that's when the action started. They got in this boat. And by the way, you should see this. This boat was discovered in the northwest region of the Sea of Galilee in 1986. There was a drought that year. And the waters receded and uh, exposed this first century a fishing boat and uh, carbon dated to within the time of the life of Christ. Now, it's coined the Jesus boat, but nobody is asserting that that's the boat. But we do have a pretty good idea of the kind of boat that Christ and the disciples uh, would have been in from looking at this picture. It's about 27, 28 feet long. Uh, It's about seven to eight feet wide. Uh, It's about four feet deep. It uh, drafts shallow. Uh, In the water, there would have been four oars uh, staggered, two on each side, and there would have been a mast 
right in uh, the middle. And that would have resembled the kind of boat that these disciples would have been in and the kind of boat that Jesus would have sat in when he would have taught. And they got in this boat. And that's when the storm hit. It's at night, too. The Sea of Galilee is 14 feet from north, uh, 14 miles from north to south, and uh, uh, seven to eight miles from east to west. It looks kind of like a harp, but it's only about 120 feet deep. So go home and out of the cabinet uh, when you get home from church, pull out a saucer that you put your teacup on, and then fill water in it, and then do this. <sighs> water sprays out. That's the Sea of Galilee. When uh, squalls come in, this uh, sea, this lake becomes absolutely ferocious. And verse 37 says, there was this furious squall that came up. And the waves broke over the boat. Literally, the waves were punching against the boat. There was this mixed martial arts event going on. And the boat was really taking it there by the waves. And it was nearly swamped. And that's when the disciples began to panic and freak out. Keep in mind, some of these disciples were, were uh, you know, experienced fishermen. They'd grown up there at the lake. They'd seen uh, squalls come in before. Uh, they'd been on boats all of their lives. And yet this one really caused them to panic. And that's what storms do to us, don't they? Storms often unveil what's really inside of us. Storms strip away all of our veneer, of our securities, and the, and the front that we put on. Storms just rip them all away, and expose what's really in our hearts. And here, the storm exposed the disciples and showed very clearly that they were in deep fear. Jesus, however, was in deep REM. Right? Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. (laughs) Isn't that an amazing detail? You know, what, what is that? that? That's a detail you would expect from someone who gives an eyewitness account. That's what that is. And, 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 uh, and in fact, we have this, this whole passage is kind of peppered with these little details. Details that really aren't even germane to the point that's being made, but details that just come from someone who's an eyewitness. For instance, let's go back up here in verse 36. It says, leaving the crowd, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And then it says, there were also other boats with him. And then then that that detail just has really nothing to do with the point of the account except to communicate that why someone saw that. And that's a detail we would expect, an eyewitness. And this is Peter's. This is Peter's eyewitness account, which he relayed to John Mark and which we have in the Gospel of Mark. And so there Peter's remembering, yeah, he was snoozing in the stern sleeping on this cushion and and you know i don't know if you remember this week when you were asleep on your side and uh it was about two in the morning and your four-year-old came up to you and you sensed that there was something there and you woke up and you're looking at his face daddy can i have a drink of water (laughs) do you need permission (laughs) you know Jesus opens his eyes, and there's Peter. We are going to die. Don't you care? Teacher, 
Don't, don't you care if we drown? And that's what the storm revealed in the lives of the disciples. That's what, it, that's what was stripped away. God, don't you care? Don't you care? Some of you are in a storm right now, and that's exactly what you're asking. Don't you care? Huh? I mean, you... Don't you care? You told me to. You told me to get in the boat. You said let's go on the other side. So I'm just doing what you told me. Now we're in this storm. Don't you care? You know, God, you, you said you wanted me to run the business by the book, and so I'm running it by the book. And now I'm in this. You know, now we're taking in water and we're going down. Don't you care? That's a serious thing to accuse God of not caring. You know. Of course He cares. Of course He cares. See, here it is. He cares more about building character in your life than making you happy. And storms build character. And that's what's going on here. So, you know, don't you care if we drown? So, verse 39, so, you know, he gets up and... This is what he says. Immediately the lake turns like glass. That's the second time Jesus says shut up in Mark's gospel. (laughs) He said it to a demon-possessed man earlier and now he's talking to an, an, an unruly wave. <laughs> this tells the wave to shut up. Quiet. And then he looks to his disciples. <sighs> What's he going to do to them, right? <laughs> Gentlemen, what is the problem here? You know, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Verse 40. You still? Now, why would Jesus say that? I mean, I mean, they were in a storm. They cried out to Jesus, had to take some semblance of faith to cry out to him, right? I mean, but then Jesus says, why do you have no faith? Why, 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 would, why would he ask that question? And a clue may be, a clue may be in reviewing what it was that he had taught that day. Remember what we talked about in the parable of the sower and the parable of the growing seed and the mustard seed, how Jesus is talking about the, the kingdom of God, the growing, the invincible, the unstoppable kingdom of God. And they're taking it all in and Jesus is talking to the crowds and then later on he talks to them in person and, and, and all day long it's the kingdom of God, this invincible kingdom of God and And I mean, that night, they doubt whether the kingdom's really going to happen, right? Don't you care? This goes beyond just their personal safety. Jesus, what if you go down? What if we go down? How's the kingdom going to appear? How's the kingdom? We, We pray that portion of the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here the disciples are saying, really? Really? 
And that's what storms reveal about us. You know, have you, have you, has anybody here not ever felt that? Where you think, is this really for real? I mean, is this thing called Christianity, is this for real? Or is this just kind of an opiate of the masses? Or, or you, know, uh, you know, we did this series last uh, uh, in September called uh, I've Got a Friend Who. And then one of the messages was I've Got a Friend Who Thinks All Religions Lead to God. And maybe that's really just the way it is. Maybe, maybe you know, religion is just kind of a democracy of deities instead of an absolute monarchy. And, and you know, we get these doubts that fester and, 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 and you know, kind of blister us. And, and we wonder, really? And I want you to know, if you've ever felt that, this is a safe place to bring those questions. It really is. We don't need to be afraid of the doubts. We don't. And you don't need to come into this place and, well, if the minister really knew how I felt. You know what? How you feel is how the minister has felt. Trust me. Trust me. So if this is a safe place for us to bring our doubts, this can also be a safe place to hear Jesus address our doubts and here's how he does it the verse here that gives me hope the verse here that gives me hope is not when jesus says shut up right that's really not a whole lot of hope there but i'll tell you where i get hope i get hope in verse 35 jesus says let us go over to the other side and here it is friends when jesus tells you let us go over to the other side. He's going to get you there. He's going to get you there. And that's why he wants you to trust him. What were they expecting him to do anyway? <laughs> right? <laughs> well... <laughs> What, what were they, what were they, what were they, don't you care, what were they expecting? Uh, whatever it was they were expecting him to do, it wasn't what he did. They weren't, they weren't expecting him to do what he did. You know, what, what, what were they, what were they, what were they wanting him to do? Row harder, right, really? Row harder? Not in this storm. You're not going to be able to row through this storm, not on your own human effort. What, what, what were they expecting? Were they expecting him to call up Carrie Underwood? Jesus, take the wheel, take it from my hand. I, I can do Garth Brooks better than Carrie Underwood. But um, <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> you know what? Can I just be honest with you? And, and, you know, my car just turned 140,000 miles on it. Jesus does not want to take the wheel of your jalopy. <laughs> he doesn't. He wants to do something else, <laughs> okay? He wants to do something else. Like what he does here. He stills the storm. And, and, and that's why verse 41 says, they were terrified. So their fear of the storm was overwhelmed by their fear and awe and amazement of the Lord of the storm. You see, the one who, who is this? Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. You know what? Only God can command the weather. That's who this is. Jesus, your king, the person we were 
worshiping here, the person we are worshiping here. Yeah, this is your king, the one who defeats the power of evil and delivers his people. Wow. Well, my goodness, they get to, they get to the other side because Jesus said, we're going to get to the other side. And they go across the lake, verse 1, to the region of the Gerasenes. That's kind of in the northeast part of the Sea of Galilee. And I mean, no sooner had Jesus' foot stepped out of the boat that they hear this wild, wild scream. Ah! That's my interpretation of verses 1 through 5, okay? It's an informed interpretation. Really? I mean, their blood pressures had just gone down, and their pulse was just stopped racing. <laughs> they go from one roller coaster to another roller coaster. The, the, they had faced this storm at sea, and now there's a storm in this. Well, is, he an, is, is this an animal? Or is, no, it's not an animal. It's a, it's, a, it's a naked man. This satanic, demon-possessed man lived in the cave tombs of a region around the lake called the Gerasenes, and and and. and and he, he was, Scripture says there was an evil spirit or an unclean spirit that had inhabited him. And, and the town didn't want anything to do with him. And so they consigned him in the worst possible slum, a graveyard of tombs. Now, don't think graveyard like the ones we have here in Illinois. These were cave tombs. Cave, or, or, or I'll tell you what, think of a cave in rock state park. Right? Now, remember that big old cave you've been to? Well, think about that for a little bit. These cave tombs. And this, the townspeople had chained this guy up, shackled his legs and, 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 and arms, because that's what the world does to people in bondage. More bondage. But nothing worked. And the demons living inside this guy busted those chains and the guy, the guy cut himself on rocks and shrieked and howled. He was this filthy, dirty, bloody, scab-infested victim of a strong man. Of a strong man. And no sooner had Christ gotten out of the boat that this guy charges at Jesus, shrieking and screaming with this eerie sort of fatal attraction. And he fell to Jesus' feet. He knows who Jesus is. That's the thing. In Mark's gospel, the reader knows who Jesus is. We're told who Jesus is before the, the show ever starts, if you will. In verses 1 through 14, it's like the director comes out in Mark 1, 1 through 14 and says, here's who Jesus is. And then in Mark 1, 15, the cameras roll and Jesus is on the scene. So the reader knows who Jesus is. In Mark's gospel, the demons know who Jesus is and Jesus knows who he is he knows who he is and those demons fell at jesus feet what do you want with me jesus son of the most high and that's a designation indicating that he is the creator of the universe the uncontested creator of the universe and then these demons say swear to god that you won't torture us oh how nice they're religious demons <laughs> right really 
They're, they're religious. They want, they want Jesus, get this, they want Jesus to swear an oath limiting his power over them. That's bold. <laughs> That's bold. They beg Jesus to give them mercy, though they have shown no mercy to this poor man. Hmm. They're just like bullies. They can dish it out, but they can't take it. Jesus says, what's your name? My name is Legion. We are many. So they have they've fractured this man's personality to this, this animal-like behavior. And that's when they heard, that's when they heard the pigs on a nearby hillside. They begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And then they begged Jesus, just send us among the pigs. Send us among the pigs. And Jesus grants their request. Huh? And, and so they go into these pigs, this herd of 2,000 pigs. Now, I mean, think about what it would be like for an 11-year-old child to get behind the, the wheel of this semi-tractor trailer, double trailer, going downhill on ice, Right? swerving back and forth. Those, it's almost like a burlesque comedy here as these demons uh, leave these, this man and then, and then enter these pigs. They couldn't control those pigs if they wanted to and they steered right down the bank over the cliff and into the lake and both were destroyed. And I know some of us might think, well, those poor pigs. Now, I, you know, I, look, I like pigs. I mean, I, I read Charlotte's Web, and I, I, I grew up on you know, Miss Piggy, and, and I love little porgies. <laughs> but, you know, so, the, you know, first century Orthodox Hebrew people and then and now they just don't share that affinity you know they don't and and so pigs were to the disciples what like maybe a pack of pit bulls or bats or rats or you know a nest of snakes would be to us the the true miracle was not what happened to the pigs but what happened to the man look at verse 15 when they came to jesus They saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. Wow. How could that have happened? Because Christ is stronger than the strong man. That's why. Do you you see what we're learning here about evil? What are you learning here about evil? We, We look at these verses and we wonder, you know, what in the world does this have to do with my life today? And I'll tell you what it has to do with our lives today. Consider this. Don't you wish that evil were as obvious as what you're seeing here in these verses? It rarely is. Evil hardly ever looks like a deranged man cutting himself, shrieking at night, and renting a flat at the local graveyard. Instead, evil looks more attractive and more seductive and more deceptive than anything you can possibly imagine. The lure of evil is that it appears to be righteous. 
And that's what's so dangerous about it. It only appears to be. You see, at the end, evil always, 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 always ends in self-destruction. Always. There's no such thing as constructive evil. There's no such thing as evil that's headed in the right direction. There's no such thing as evil that's merging onto the path of wisdom. Anytime we give ourselves to evil, this is the destination. It's a destination of destruction. And furthermore, evil can never be defeated by human effort. This shows us this obviously. Only Christ can defeat evil. Only Christ can deliver us from evil's power. Only his power can defeat its power. Which is why this is such a hostile scene. Jesus Christ did not come to this scene to negotiate with evil or to sue for peace with evil. He came, 1 John 3, 8 says, he has come to destroy the work of Satan, to destroy evil. That's his intention. And he didn't, even, he didn't even come to fight because when Jesus shows up among demons, there is no fight. He is the sovereign Lord and creator of the universe. He brings order out of chaos by his word. He doesn't need biceps. He speaks and the demons obey. That's how it is. That's why they're begging. They're, just, they're always begging because they know who Jesus is. Do we? Do we? And just as the awesome fear of Christ overwhelmed the disciples' fear of the storm, so too the people's fear of Christ overwhelmed any fear they had of the man, which is why it says that they were afraid. They were afraid. Verse 15. And as a result of this miracle... Do you know what they asked Jesus to do? Leave. (laughs) Leave. Evidently, grace wasn't good for the economy. And so Jesus did. He left. It's interesting. In this passage here, um, Christ granted almost everyone's request. Think about it. The demons requested that they be put into the herd of pigs. Jesus granted their request. Uh, The townspeople, when they saw all that happened, asked Jesus if he would leave. And you know what? He granted their request. He left. He granted almost everyone's request. Everyone but one. He didn't grant the request, one request. Verse 18 says, as Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, and Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. Though Jesus left, the gospel did not. This man would have a far better opportunity to share the gospel 
at home with those who had known him before he met Christ and now are amazed at this transformation that has occurred. And as a result, this man contagiously influenced his world for Christ. Only Jesus can defeat the power of evil and deliver the people of God. And he's the stronger man exercising his power through his word and through the word of his preacher. Jesus goes to an irreligious, unclean region and he deals with unclean demons living in an unclean man who was living in an unclean graveyard and at his word, the demons are destroyed and this man becomes the very first missionary to the Gentiles. And the Christians who would first hear of this, this this gospel was first shared with Christians in Rome who were being persecuted by Nero, who were being put to death. They were in this storm. And they realized through this account that they had something to say for God even in their storm. They, like this man, had the privilege of testifying where your message will have its most powerful effect. And what is that message? Oh, it is the message of the gospel, church family. And the gospel is that Jesus Christ has broken into this world and he binds the strong man, Satan. But he doesn't bind Satan with biceps, he binds Satan with outstretched arms. You see, later in Mark's gospel, in Mark 15, Jesus will trade places with this man. This man in Mark 5 is now clothed. But when we get to Mark 15, Jesus will be the one who is naked. This man in Mark 5 shrieks and cries out. Later in Mark 15, Jesus will be the one to cry out. This man in Mark 5 was driven to the tombs. But in Mark 15, Jesus would be the one put into the tomb. Jesus will die in an unclean place among unclean people so that by his death, burial, and resurrection from the tomb, shackles cannot hold him either. We might be, we might be delivered and we might become clean. And that is why we should follow him.